Welcome to Savor Food and Body, a podcast for women in midlife who are ready to lose the mental and emotional weight of dieting. I'm your host, Amanda Bullitt, an undieting dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. Join me as I talk with other experts in the fields of intuitive eating, women's health, body image, and so much more. You'll also hear stories of women just like you who have learned to undiet their lives and fully embrace wellness without obsession. Let's get started. Hey there, welcome to another week of how to be great at intuitive eating in midlife. This is week four, and today we're going to be talking about the principles of how to cope with your emotions with with kindness and also movement, feel the difference. So if we haven't met already, I am Amanda Bullitt. I'm a registered dietitian, certified intuitive eating counselor, and a strong advocate for helping you savor food and body in midlife. And as a former athlete with a disordered eating relationship and a woman in my 40s, I live for helping women undiet their lives through intuitive eating, mindfulness, and wellness without obsession. So throughout this whole month, we have been talking about the principles of intuitive eating and how they relate to midlife. So if you've missed the previous three episodes of this, how to be great at intuitive eating, if you've missed the previous three episodes um, of, of this series, then you can find those at the Safer Food and Body podcast. And they're all listed as how to be great at intuitive eating weeks one, two, three, and then four. And we also have some, uh, an office hours. So I've been doing office hours every Friday. If you're welcome to come and just uh, ask questions about intuitive eating or nutrition for midlife, or what does savor food and body even mean? Just come and say, hi, we are doing that for a couple of more Fridays. So this week, and then next week, I believe it's February 3rd. Um, you just need to register so that you can get the zoom link. And if you're not familiar with intuitive eating, if maybe this is just something you've started exploring this month, uh, the intuitive eating principles were originally created by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Rush, two dietitians, and they created them back in the 1990s. So it's been around a while. There are well over a hundred scientific papers and studies written and conducted about intuitive eating and its effectiveness of helping people uh, live joyfully with food movement and not focusing on the scale all the time. So throughout the series, I've been walking you through how I typically teach the principles of intuitive eating to my clients. And I've done supervision with Evelyn and she even said in our supervision, like there's not necessarily a straight linear path through going through the intuitive eating principles. It is really important to focus on that uh, rejecting the diet mentality, that first principle is really help, helpful to, to focus on that first. And it can be helpful to focus more on gentle nutrition later in this process because there's a lot of unlearning that needs to happen in between. So other than that, how you mix up the principles in the middle is kind of up to you and your lived experience. So that's how I work with my clients as we go through the, the, the principles together. We kind of pick and choose and what's fitting them at the time. And there's a lot of overlapping. So as you go back and you listen to some of those previous episodes that I've done, you'll see that I'm combining several of these principles uh, when I teach them for a reason because they overlap and they connect together. 
So just as a recap, um, we've talked about how to reject the diet mentality and make peace with all foods. In the second week, we talked about how to identify food police thoughts and how focusing on satisfaction with food can keep those food policing thoughts at bay. Your brain can't do both things at the same time. So um, it's really hard to be critical with yourself and also focusing on in the present moment. And last week was all about what I call the hungerfulness spectrum and why it can be hard to honor subtle signs of hunger and how satisfaction plays a critical role in finding comfortable fullness. So that's an area that I spend a lot of time with, with my clients because there's individual life and food situations that come up that we need to practice through. So this week, even if you think that emotional eating is the root of your dysfunctional relationship with food, I see this a lot in my practice. And there's a lot of negative messaging out there about like how to fix your emotional eating, like you should stop doing that. But the point, the problem is we are humans, we are emotional creatures, and we do use food for celebration just as much as we can use food for coping with negative emotions. So it's not really accurate to say stop emotional eating. That's like saying stop being an emotional person. However, there is a time and a place for food helping you with coping with emotions. And if it's the only tool in your toolbox, it's not going to be as effective. And eventually that tool is going to wear out. So we're going to talk about that today. I like to use the analogy of a knife, like you have your block of knives sitting on the the counter. And if you continue to use the same knife for everything in your kitchen, the bread, the cheese, opening the box from the UPS or the, the FedEx, and that knife eventually is just going to get dull. It's not going to cut the bread as well. It's not going to cut the apple as well or whatever it is that you're working with. So if you have the same tool that you keep using over and over and over again for all these different things, it's just not going to work. So we want to have a different uh, mix. We want to have variety when it comes to our emotional coping toolbox. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're also going to talk about how exercise or movement that promotes body kindness, strength, and empowerment, and doesn't focus on before and after pictures can be a critical part to not only your intuitive, intuitive eating journey throughout midlife, but it can be a critical part of your emotional coping toolbox. Okay, so the intuitive eating principle, cope with your emotions with kindness. That's how it's phrased in the intuitive eating um, book and workbook. So this, like I said, feeling emotions is a part of being human. And that doesn't matter whether it's anxiety, depression, joy, fear, boredom, happiness, or anything in between. Emotions make our lives interesting and difficult at the same time, but it's all part of the human experience. And learning to be with your emotions and how they show up in your body, how they physically feel in your body is an essential skill to intuitive eating. So at the root of intuitive eating, it's staying connected to our bodies. We've been talking about that in various shapes and forms throughout this whole series. So meeting your emotions with kindness and compassion, and this is really kind of rooted in the work of Dr. Kristen Neff, who is one of the foremost authorities on self-compassion is also really important. So self-compassion, compassionate curiosity, I use that term a lot, 
um, is really at the root of all of this. And that doesn't matter if we're talking about our emotions or we're just talking about trying to feel our hunger and fullness and satisfaction. Compassion needs to be that foundation. So to build an effective emotion coping toolbox, we need a variety of tools to support the variety of emotions that you feel at any given time. So emotional coping tools might include a journal, spending time in nature or gardening, deep belly breathing. I'm a big fan of popping myself on the floor, um, knees up and just letting that floor kind of take the weight of whatever I'm feeling or whatever's going on in life and doing some deep belly breaths with that. Um, of course, meditation, art, doing, it doesn't have to be you know, real constructed like art therapy per se, but if you like coloring or drawing or painting or just being your creative self, that can be helpful. Of course, listening to music or playing music and then exercise and movement, like I mentioned earlier, and we'll get into that in more detail. Um, connecting with a pet, whether it's your pet or your neighbor's pet, but just having some playful time connecting with, you know, petting their fur or playing ball with them, whatever that might be. Um, also something warm, cool, smooth, rough uh, to touch. So that could be holding a mug of a warm or cold beverage and just that sensation of I'm holding something that has a, a texture or a temperature helps to ground you in the present moment. And focusing on that can keep your brain from spinning off into all of the shoulds and shouldn'ts and what ifs. And then also food. So like I said, it's important to have food still in that coping toolbox, but we wanna add in some of these other tools as well. So one of the reasons it's important to keep food in the toolbox, if you've used food in the past, is it kind of goes back to that full permission um, principle that we talked about. Because when we have the, from a psychology perspective, when we have this idea of like, I can't use food, I can't use food, I can't use food. What do you wanna do? What's your main go-to? Of course, it's gonna be food. And or you've got this emotional, strong emotion that you're trying to manage how to deal with. And then you're also struggling with, I shouldn't be using food. So you've got like these two fights going in your head. That's exhausting and it's not helpful. So by allowing food to still be in that toolbox, kind of bring that stress level down from the shoulds and the shouldn'ts around food and open then ourselves up for, and what else might I wanna choose? So we're not trying to do two battles at the same time. So you need to know that food can still exist in your toolbox so that you don't fall into that shame trap of when you do turn to food to cope temporarily. Sometimes food is the easiest tool that we have. You know, if you're in a stressful moment, it's at work or something like that, and you, you finish a stressful meeting and you go back to your desk and you want to have a snack, um, that might be the easiest thing for you to do at that time to take care of yourself. It wouldn't be appropriate for you to go, oh, hold up, I can't listen to it, talk to any more people, write emails, I got to meditate for 10 minutes. Like, that's probably not realistic. And, or you can't have your pet at work, or you can't just take off for a hike for the rest of the afternoon for, for many people. So it's okay to turn to food when you need it, when there's nothing else that you can turn to. But again, can't be the only tool in your toolbox.
So as you've probably experienced in the past, when you feel that shame, it's really easier, shame that you're choosing food, it's really easier, easy to trigger continuous emotional eating and even fall into what one of my clients affectionately called fuck it eating. So don't set up two battles for yourself. Just just stick with these emotions. I'm I'm having a hard time dealing with this strong emotion and just stick with that and just know that food is there if you need it, but go through this other list um, that you might've created for yourself. I do recommend to all of my clients and students to, to make a list in your journal or on a post-it note, on a mirror, wherever it's easy for you to see, like what are my go-to coping tools so that when you're in that heat of the moment, you don't have to try to go like, oh, what should I choose? Like, I mean, I said I could choose food, but I shouldn't choose it all the time. And I chose it yesterday. Like, don't do that to yourself. If you have a list, then you have those go-to resources and you can just pick off whatever feels like it'll be helpful in that time. So one of those things that I mentioned earlier, uh, one of those tools can be movement. So in intuitive eating, they call this principle movement feel the difference. And what that's really meaning is learn how to connect with movement, connect with exercise, not from a place of you're trying to change your body, you know, tone it, shape it, lose the weight, whatever it is, but connect more from, I like moving my body this way. This body, uh, this moving my body in this way keeps me from feeling stiff, helps me feel stronger, um, has helping me feel more flexible, um, able to do daily life activities easier, walk up the stairs without getting out of breath or get up and down off the floor to play with kids or grandkids, whatever that might be. So that's what we mean by feel the difference, feel the difference of how it is to relate to movement and exercise from this place of I'm connecting with my body through movement versus I'm trying to shape and change my body through movement. And when we do that, then it makes movement a really great tool for emotional coping. However, there is a caveat to this because I fell into this trap um, during my disordered eating uh, competitive athlete days. Movement can also end up being one of those numb out activities. So I'm, in my experience, personal experience, I was literally running away from the things I didn't want to feel in my life the difficulties that I was having in my life. And I was pounding out the miles, whether it was on trails, whether it was on pavement, and I wasn't dealing with, I've got some strong emotions and I don't know what to do with them. I wasn't given those tools to figure out what to do with them. So I just ran, ran my body into the ground quite literally. So if you're someone who has had kind of a complication, complicated relationship with exercise, with movement, taking a break from movement, might be an, a critical part of your healing journey. And this might not be a tool that is helpful for you to use for emotional coping. You might need to explore some of those other tools to try to understand your emotional being self and how to, how to help yourself through those difficult emotions without turning to the old tool that you've always used. Again, going back to that analogy, if movement was this, the same knife that you always picked up to cut everything in your kitchen, in your house, then movement's not going to be as effective for you anymore and could actually contribute to the problem. 
For those of you that the movement was not that, and maybe you want to look at moving your, your body more in midlife in particular to experience you know, the benefits of weight-bearing exercise on bone health, cardiovascular health, um, or this emotional component, this emotional coping piece, there's a really great study that was mentioned in the book Burnout, which I highly recommend anybody over the age of 40, especially reading the book Burnout by um, Emily and Amelia Nagowski, their sisters. And they talk about movement uh, in particular things like dance or like shaking and wiggling, fast walking, lifting weights, and maybe even running if that's appropriate for you. And how in moving your body for a short period of time, the study only did it for 20 minutes, can help your body move stress hormones through, through its system and bring you back down to a calm state. So again, don't get hung up on that 20 minutes. That's just the amount that was shown in this one particular study. But I thought it was a really interesting and validating to show how movement can be helpful for emotional coping, particularly around those difficult emotions with stress and anxiety that we have a lot of going on these days. So when you can separate movement from focusing on weight loss or to maintain weight, um, from focusing on body measurements, you know, what's the size of my waist, what's the size of my biceps, my butt, my thighs, whatever, um, and before and after pictures, which are also problematic, then you open up the space to move into using movement and exercise as a way to connect with your body from the inside out. And when you learn to connect with your body from the inside out, you're more able to, to focus on the hunger piece, the satisfaction piece, the fullness piece. So as you're starting to see throughout this series, all of these principles really kind of tie together. And movement can be that very like practical, tactile way to start connecting you back to your body. Again, from the inside out, not focusing on changing your outward appearance. So it can be a really profound way of, of relating to movement and exercise. So um, both of these, you know, creating your emotional coping toolbox, focusing on movement and feeling how different it can be in your body, um, rather than trying to change your body, both of those tools can really help you create a healthy relationship with your body and with food. Again, if food isn't always having to be the therapist in your emotional coping world and food can just go back to being food, then you're more likely to be able to, to tune into what's satisfying about food. What's my hunger? What's my fullness? Um, when you are working on focusing movement and exercise from a place of, I wanna feel connected to my body versus changing my body, then that's helping you develop a healthier relationship with your body in general. So with that, I will sign off for this week and I'll look forward to seeing you all there. So have a great week savoring food in your body and I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks for listening today. I hope this conversation inspires you to undiet your life and start savoring food and your body. You can find show notes and resources from this episode by going to alpinenutrition.org forward slash blog, B-L-O-G. If you'd like to learn more about my one-on-one -on -one counseling or group coaching programs, go to my website, alpinenutrition.org and click work with me at the top of the page. And finally, if you found this episode helpful, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Until next time, keep savoring food and your body.